I'm Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. Sorry, I just, that song's pretty cool. <laughs> I love getting to share time with you, uh, opening up God's Word. Um, we're going to be in the last book of the Bible. Make it easy for you. Revelation 19, okay? Um, we're starting a brand new series, a two-part series, Pastor Scott and I will be doing, on marriage. It's entitled, The Gospel According to Marriage. Now, let's be honest. As soon as I said that, some of y'all are thinking, Ugh. and then others of you are thinking, the only thing I know about marriage is like this one funny quote from a movie like, marriage is what brings us together today, right? Yeah, I, I know who's watched that movie. You know, <laughs> and, you know, growing up as a preacher's kid, I tell you what, man, when, when I was younger, like high school, college, and, and younger in my faith, man, I did what's called cherry-picking scriptures and sermons. You know what that means? It means I only paid attention to and read sermons or scriptures that applied to the stage in life I was in at that point. But see, the problem with that is I wasn't really gaining an understanding of the knowledge of God's word, right? When you cherry pick, you kind of miss out on this, and it's not the way to grow in our knowledge of God's word and how it applies to our life. See, the whole of scripture applies to each and every one of us. Now I say that to encourage those of you listening today who may not be married or even thinking about marriage. Just stay with me today, okay? Scott and I are very hopeful and prayerful that this sermon series will affect not just those of you who are married in this room, but most importantly, all of our personal relationships with Jesus Christ. So I want to ask you a question to think about. What is the best thing in your life? Picture it. What is the best thing in your life? What is it? Let's be honest. Most of you pictured someone, parent, relational, someone, spouse, kid, kids. Some of you probably pictured like, your brand new sports car that you worked really hard to get, and man, it's sweet. It goes like 295,000 miles an hour, right? Which you can't ever take it out that fast anyways. And some of you probably pictured that plaque, that trophy, that achievement on your wall that reminds you of like the greatest achievements you've ever had, whether at work, school, sports, you name it. Now let me ask a follow-up question. What if I told you there's a greater version to the best thing in your life? What if I said there is a greater version to the best thing in your life? I think if you knew for sure there was a greater option, you would want it, right? You would focus on it. You would be motivated by it. Why? Because it's greater than the best thing in your life. And in the same way, marriage is a beautiful thing given to us by God, but there is a far deeper and greater marriage for all of us that we can be encouraged with. A complete and perfect marriage that illustrates the roles of husbands and wives, but a marriage that doesn't end, sadly, like a lot of marriages we find today. It's a marriage for each and every one of us because it is our end-all, be-all marriage. And the passage we're going to be in today paints a glorious picture of our eternal marriage with Jesus Christ. Again, we're going to be in Revelation 19, 
verses 6 through 10. So if you're willing and able, I want to invite you in honor of reading God's holy word to stand with me as we read. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Then I fell down at his feet to worship him, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. For the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. This is the reading of God's beautiful and glorious word. Thank you. You may be seated. So today we're going to uncover a few things. I like four things. <laughs> the gospel according, according to marriage tells us that marriage is really about Christ and the church. Christ and us. And that our marriage to Christ has unrivaled joy. Our marriage to Christ has unparalleled love. And finally, our marriage to Christ has unending faith. So let's look at how the gospel according to marriage tells us that marriage is really about the church and Jesus, Christ and the church. Verse 7 says, the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. See, this is a direct reference to Jesus Christ, the Lamb. And it's a direct reference to the church, you and I, as his bride. And in Ephesians 5, we find where it explicitly states this when it's talking about wives and husbands in their roles. And it states that Christ and the church are the example for wives and husbands. Verse 23 in Ephesians 5 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to who? Christ. So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now as you continue reading Ephesians 5, Paul continues on giving this beautiful description of marriage. And he concludes it in verse 32 when he says, this mystery is profound. This mystery about marriage is profound. And I am saying that it refers to what? Christ and the church. You see, marriage is ultimately about Christ and the church, Christ and us. Our earthly marriages should have one purpose and one purpose only. Not to make much of each other, but to make much of God. And there should be comfort in knowing that marriage solely exists to give God all the glory. And as we look to scripture, we should be encouraged that, as we see in Revelation, we have a deeper and greater marriage coming. We have a deeper and greater marriage coming. One that's promised, one that is sure to come. He is our bridegroom and we are his bride. A deeper and greater marriage to the promised one, our Savior, our King. And I think 
I think really honestly these passages shed light on an underlying truth for all of us in here. Single, married, widowed, whatever. It really sheds light on something. Our sinful nature tends to make much of anyone or anything other than God in Christ Jesus and his sacrifice for us as his bride. Right? Like, we, we celebrate the things our creator created instead of celebrating the creator. I'm guilty of it all the time. I love my wife. I love my six kids. I talk about them all the time. Do I make much of God or am I making much of them? The best thing in my life. Are you making much of God? Or are you making much of someone or something else? I think one way to combat this is to search scripture with the perspective of making much of God. And be reminded that everything, not just marriage, has a purpose of making much of God. I don't celebrate my kids. I celebrate God in in allowing me to steward my kids, but that God is the giver of my kids. Make much of God through the blessings in your life. Listen, if we don't, the rocks will. And he deserves it, doesn't he? So we've looked at how the gospel according to marriage is really about Christ and the church, Christ and us. Now let's get into how the gospel according to marriage tells us our marriage to Christ has unrivaled joy. And we see this in the first two verses of Revelation 19 in our passage. Verse 6 says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come. Okay, we're going to throw up a picture up here. But I want you to imagine the biggest, grandest wedding you could possibly think of. I mean, the most excitement, the most joy. This is as close to, I, I, can, I, I was just trying to help you here for those of you who are like imaginary challenged, right? But like one that's got extreme access, extreme joy, just all the pomp and circumstance. You got it? So if you're picturing something else than that, that's fine. Just picture it. Now, do this. Multiply that by infinity. And this is the picture we have of the anticipation of our marriage with Christ Jesus. Make no mistake, our great wedding with him, with Christ, won't be a quiet or reserved celebration. It says it right here. Imagine the sound of many roaring waters and mighty peals of thunder and how loud that combined together is. If you've ever been to Niagara Falls or some big waterfall, it is deafening if you're right up on it. Every kid and every dog is scared of cracks of thunder. You keep going with all those together, and it's deafening. But here's the thing. It's not deafening because of fright or agony. These sounds are of pure rejoicing. You ever been to, like, a sports arena when, I mean, the most craziest of game-winning shots was made? And you hear, ah, everybody's excited. Multiply that by infinity. 
let us rejoice and exult in its pure, complete, and perfect joy. Because the bride, us, will be in a perfect union with Christ, our bridegroom, forever. This is a joy that is unrivaled because it's a joy that comes from the eternal presence of God in Christ Jesus with us for eternity. As the psalmist states in Psalm 16, he says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is what? This is participatory. There is what? Fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our marriage with Christ will have a complete and perfect and filling joy that goes beyond what we can fathom because we will be together with him forever. It's an eternal, unrivaled joy from and in Christ alone. Given to us by our bridegroom. And if it's given from God in Christ Jesus to us, get this, it cannot be taken away. It's a fullness of joy that is here to stay forever. How amazing is that? It's a joy that is deeper and greater than any earthly marriage or relationship we will ever experience. Now, let's be honest. Some of us struggle with joy. Sometimes on a daily basis. Sometimes it just comes in waves. Maybe, maybe you're so hoping for someone and no one has ever come. And this joy just seems so unattainable. And you feel you'll never know this joy and you battle with trying so hard to find it. Maybe, maybe you're in a marriage or relationship and struggle with joy. Because you're looking to the other person in your relationship to provide you with this elusive joy. And it's elusive because why? You're relying on someone to provide this joy that they just simply can't provide. Because why? They sin, they mess up, they hurt you, they fail you, they forget to call you, and the list goes on and on. And this joy just dodges you. Maybe you're just searching for joy in something else altogether. Like in things or achievements, in family or financial gain. And the list goes on and on. But here's the problem. The list goes on and on. And it still doesn't fill you with the fullness of joy. Complete, perfect, full, unending, unrivaled joy. Dear friend, there is joy to be found in our true bridegroom. For he will come. And he will be with us forever. And we will be full of unrivaled joy with him and only him. Because we will finally experience a marriage full of perfect joy with our bridegroom, Jesus Christ. Cling to and memorize the promises in beautiful scripture. There is a fullness of joy in Christ's glorious eternal presence. He's come for you. He's died for you. He was raised to life for you because he loves you and promises to be with you in an eternal union. Get in God's word. Memorize it. Cling to it. The joy we have right now comes and goes. Be reminded of the fullness of joy in Christ and Christ alone. It's right in this good, glorious book.
what a glorious day when the marriage of the Lamb has come and we, the bride, are ready. What a glorious day when we will be in the fullness of joy in Christ forever. Praise be to God the Father for our glorious bridegroom. So now that we've looked at the gospel according to marriage and how it tells us that our marriage to Christ has uh, unrivaled joy, now let's look at how it has unparalleled love. See, the unrivaled joy that we just spoke of is a direct derivative of the unparalleled love that Christ has for you and I. It flows straight out of. The love of God produces joy within us. The love of Christ produces joy within us. It's a direct derivative. And we get insight into this unparalleled love in verses 7 and 8. The marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, before we get into verse 8, I want to talk about one, one title, one name in verse 7. And this will help us understand the unparalleled love that our eternal bridegroom has for you and I. And that title is The Lamb. Our bridegroom's title is The Lamb. Now, this is significant, church, because just 14 chapters earlier in Revelation 5, Christ is listed as what? His title is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And what does the Lion title communicate? Strength, valor, king. Nothing's beating him, right? He's the king of the jungle. That's what the Lion title communicates. But why is Jesus here referred to as the Lamb? Because it tells us exactly who he is as our bridegroom in marriage. The Lamb title communicates, get this, his saving, sacrificial, and selfless love that he demonstrated to us, his bride, in life, death, and resurrection. The Lamb demonstrates an unparalleled love that none of us will truly realize until our great wedding day with him. Now in verse 8, it continues on. His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Now, the, the obvious question is, how has the bride made herself ready? How have we made ourselves ready? Well, first off, it was granted her. It was granted us. The bride has granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. She is granted by the person and work of Jesus Christ, our bridegroom. Did you catch that? This presentation of the bride being ready is contingent upon the perfection of the bride being presented to the bridegroom without spot, without wrinkle, no blemishes, completely perfect, bright, and pure. Now don't be confused here. The righteous deeds of the saints is fine linen. This is not an earned merit, an earned righteousness where all of a sudden we have made ourselves clean, that we have made ourselves ready. It, it is, it's not an earned merit that helps the bride us get ready for our glorious bridegroom. Jesus Christ has given us, his bride, the clean and pure garments. David Brown and some co-writers with him wrote a commentary on this part of our passage, and this is what they say. It's kind of long, so stick with me here. Each saint must have righteousness. 
not merely be justified as if it belonged to the church in aggregate. The saints together have righteousness. Why? Christ is accounted the Lord our righteousness to each on believing. The robe being made white in the blood of the Lamb. You get that? The robe being made white in the blood of what? The Lamb. I should have said who? The Lamb. We come with our filthy, torn, disgusting garments, and it gets dipped in his blood through our believing, and guess what? Clean and pure and perfect only because of Jesus. How cool is that? Let me continue on. Sorry. The righteousness of the saint is not inherent, but imputed, put into. If it were otherwise, Christ would be merely enabling the sinner to justify himself. Good luck getting ready if it's up to you. <laughs> the righteous deeds of the saints supports the work of the bridegroom by implying the faithfulness of the church to him because of his efforts for us. It's imputed to those who follow Jesus faithfully and true. Only because of his unparalleled love for you and I, his bride. I find this absolutely phenomenal. That Jesus Christ sacrificed himself to make us pure and holy because of this unparalleled love that he has for you and I. Also that on the final wedding day, his perfection in us as his bride that has completely cleansed us and allows for us to be clothed pure and holy, bright and pure. Talk about a love for you and I like none other. Man. See, our marriage with Jesus Christ will be full of a much deeper and greater love, an unparalleled love that we will get to enjoy and rest in on that great wedding day. Our marriage will be, this is just, I love this word. Our marriage will be drenched, drenched, completely soaked in saving, sacrificial, and selfless love that goes beyond any of our hopes and dreams that we can have right now. Far beyond it. Now, unfortunately, there's a, there are those of us who have known no love in their marriage or relationships. And there's, there's some of us who've experienced a twisted love that's selfish and stubborn or callous and cold. There are those that have known love but know that it's temporary, not perfect. Why? Because of sin and death. Dear friends, be yet again encouraged by Scripture. God's loving and faithful word to you and I. Romans 8 says it best. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from what? The love of God in who? Hello, Christ Jesus our Lord. Guys, this is our word together. We're diving in today together. Oh, how we all should long for the day of our marriage with Christ Jesus, our beautiful bridegroom, right? We'll only know a love that is permanent, unwavering, selfless, sacrificial, and intentional for us, his bride. An unparalleled love like no other. So we've looked at how the gospel according to marriage 
tells us that our marriage to Christ has unparalleled love. Now let's go into how it has unending faith. Now, because of a marriage of unparalleled love, we can have an unending faith in our marriage with Jesus. And verse 9 focuses on this unending faith. And it comes from only God the Father through Christ Jesus. Verse 9 says this. And the angel said to me, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Now, I first want to point out that this marriage supper is distinctly separate from the marriage, the wedding itself. It's just like what we would experience now. There's a betrothal time. Some people are engaged for years and years and other people for weeks, whatever the time frame is. But there's that engagement period and then what? The wedding, right? The marriage. And then what? Reception is what most of us would call it, right? Or a supper, right? Yeah. And it was kind of the same back in New Testament times. They drew it out longer, had more fun with it. I wish we could do that, but, you know, no one's got time for that anymore now. See, only those invited to the supper are actually blessed. Get this. I've been to a lot of weddings, and especially my and Becca's wedding. It would have been extremely weird if every one of our guests that were invited to the wedding show up at the supper, the reception, and then say, where's Derek and Rebecca? And then someone goes, they weren't invited. I mean, think about it. You've never been to a wedding reception or supper where the bride and bridegroom are not there, are not invited. It's clearly evident that we as the bride of Christ are invited and thus blessed. J.A. Seiss states this in, in his lecture on this passage. It's another lengthy one, so sorry about him. There is a supper of gospel blessings. Let's just stop there. A supper of gospel blessings. That means everything we know and are promised in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, is all in full array for us to partake. There is a supper of gospel blessings of which we may now partake. But as the actual marriage occurs in heaven, subsequent to the resurrection, so also the fullness of the gospel supper is deferred till then. Isaiah sung of a feast of fat things, of wines on the lees, of fat things full of marrow, of wines of, on the lees well refined, which the Lord of hosts is to make. The feast of gospel blessings is doubtless included, but it is a feast whose glorious fullness is beyond the grave. Doesn't that sound like a marriage supper you want to be invited to? Doesn't it? This feast of gospel blessings, get this, is the realization of all the promises we have in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Clearly those invited are blessed to attend and partake. And as his bride, we can have unending faith in our bridegroom and enjoy the supper of our wedding and our marriage with him forever. Now, before we go further, I want to take just a second to explain what biblical faith is. Because I think if you ask the average person what is faith, you're going to get a slew of answers that kind of all align with the same thought. So I want to talk here, when we're talking about unending faith, we're talking about a biblical faith. And a pastor from the West Coast named Art Azurdia, I've used him before, um, 
he defines biblical faith as this, and I think it really sums it up well for us to understand where we're going with this unending faith. Faith, biblical faith, is the confident assurance in events not yet seen. Faith is not a call to believe in things when common sense tells you not to. It's not a mindless stab in the dark. It's not a crossing of the figures and hoping for the best. It's not a leap into apparent nothingness. It's a word that speaks of reasoned, careful, deliberate, intentional thought in what and who? God and all of his promises. And we have a glorious promise here, right here in verse 9. It's important to note that verse 9 starts with write this, right? The angel says, write this. Now in the Greek, it matters because write this in the Greek means it stands written. And all the parents in this room now know what I'm talking about when I say your child had a choice. A pencil with an eraser or a permanent marker to go all over everything. What do you choose? But the glorious promise stands written. It's permanent. Not erasable. Not retractable. It's here to stay. It stands written. So verse 9 is all about a promise of God about the glorious bridegroom in us, his bride, being united in marriage and then being blessed to attend the marriage supper. It's a promise that will occur. Why? Because what God says, God does 100% of the time. And to put even further certainty behind that promise, verse 9 ends with what? These are the true words of God. Church family, there is an unending faith to be had and experienced in and on our great wedding day. And consequently also in our marriage with Jesus Christ for eternity. It's a, it's a deeper and greater faith all because the wedding, marriage, and supper are promised of God and accomplished through the work of Jesus Christ. Our bridegroom gave up everything for us. Also, we can be united with him in marriage forever. Oh, what an unending faith we can have in our marriage to our bridegroom. Jesus Christ is the bridegroom worth all of our faith, trust, and commitment. It's got to get you going, right? Some of us would say, yeah, we put our faith in our spouse or we put our faith in our relationship. Put our faith in the only one thing that matters and counts and succeeds every time, Jesus Christ. Now, I want to close with some, some encouragement for each of us that's rooted in our marriage to Jesus Christ. For those of you unmarried Christians, your identity is not anchored in your marital status now, but in your marital status then with him. How cool is that? You can be confident in God's word that he's using this time to prepare you for a greater relationship and a greater reality. For your eternal marriage with Jesus Christ. One filled with unrivaled joy, unparalleled love, and unending faith. Dig into God's word. Grow your faith in your bridegroom. For those out there that are formerly married Christians, 
the oneness and unity with Christ through this deeper and greater marriage is eternal and inseparable. He promises unity with him throughout the rest of eternity. You can be confident in his perfect and unending love and commitment to you. How can you serve the body of Christ in a way that reminds you of your oneness to your true bridegroom? For married Christians out there, you need to realize your current marriage cannot be your end-all, be-all. You can't make it all about your other, your spouse. They become your idol if you're making much of them and not making much of God. God uses them to draw you closer to him. They cannot be our end-all, be-all. Listen, I love my wife, and she loves me, and I think she's the best wife out there, but guess what? She's not a better bride than Jesus Christ will ever be. I can never be a better bridegroom to my gorgeous, beautiful wife, who I would give up anything, any day for, than Jesus Christ. He's done far more than I could ever imagine and ask him to do for the one he put in my life. It cannot be your end-all, be-all. Your marriage is purpose to make much of Christ in the church, to make much of God. Is there a way you can minister to your spouse this week in a way that reminds them of their true bridegroom's unparalleled love and affection for them? Some of you out there may be unhappily married Christians right now sitting in that seat. You have a reassurance in Christ Jesus that the brokenness of your present marriage, even a failed one, has a heavenward significance. Christ's ultimate healing of you, his bride, get this, removes all those wounds and conflict on that great wedding day. Surround yourself with those who will encourage and remind you of the faithfulness you can have in your true bridegroom and the unending faith that you can have in Jesus Christ and his marriage with you. Can you find a way this week to extend that grace and love to your spouse in a way that points and gives them a tangible expression of what your true bridegroom has done for you? For happily married Christians, your true marriage with Jesus will be even better than the one you're experiencing right now even greater than the best thing in your life. How cool is that? Live for this hope and expectation and continue to prepare your spouse for Christ Jesus in that glorious day. Now, if there's anybody out there who is not a Christian, I hope you've seen today the immense and powerful hope that's in Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. His love and desire for you to turn to him and trust him. For you to see your sin and repent. To ask him to be your true bridegroom forever and ever. Today is the day to turn from yourself and turn to Jesus. Look, each and every one of us out here today, we all desire this unrivaled joy and this unparalleled love and unending faith. Thanks be to God the Father, we find all of this in our glorious bridegroom, Jesus Christ, and in our eternal marriage with him. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. God, thank you that 
he did a work far beyond what we can imagine. And thank you that he did it perfectly. God, thank you that he cared enough for us to go to the cross, to take upon the weight of all of our selfishness, to take the weight of all of our greed and pride, and bore that burden to death and then raising it to life. God, thank you that our marriage with him matters most. God, help us. Remind us this week, God, to just trust in you, God. I pray that your Holy Spirit will work in us this week to get into your word, God, to, to memorize your beautiful words to us. God, the love you have for us is insatiable and unparalleled. Thank you for demonstrating that to us through Jesus Christ. And God, thank you that we can be with him forever. God, help us to live out this in our daily lives with others around us. In our relationships, God, help us to remember that everything you've given, that you've given to us because of your sovereignty, God, that its purpose is to make much of you. Nothing less and nothing more. God, may we use our families. Maybe we, may we use the things that you've given to us financially. God, may we use those to make much of you this week. God, help us. Help us to fall more in love with our true bridegroom. God, we're asking this. And we're only able to act, ask this because we can come into your presence because of what your beautiful son, Jesus Christ, did for us. God, it's in Jesus' beautiful and holy name we pray. Amen.